you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The Ireland sings that makes it official. Welcome to the big show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by today. As always, the Chris Voss Show, we bring you some of the smartest and brightest minds in the world. The CEOs, the billionaires. We've got another billionaire, evidently, we're scheduling for the show coming up. The Pulitzer Prize winners, the White House presidential advisors, the people who write amazing stories and books and thought leaders that can change your life, motivate you to do better, give you the tools that you need to overcome adversities and all that good stuff. And you just leave with what we call the Chris Foss Show Glow. I haven't done that bit in a while, have I? The Chris Foss Show Glow, it's a beautiful thing that can come to you in not only coffee, There's a nat- it's a natural aphrodisiac that comes from coffee, the Chris Foss Show Glow, or listening to the show and just getting imparted all the brilliant mind knowledge nuggets that come from our amazing authors on the show. That all came together that I just made up, right? Yeah, there you go. So we have an amazing author on the show. But in the meantime, we demand one thing, and one thing only. You must have five people in your downline of the Chris Voss Show. So refer your show family to friends and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Voss, Chris Voss one on the TikTokity and Chris Voss Facebook.com. She is the author of the newest book that has just come out. We're gonna be talking to her about that book and everything that is inside of it. It's called How to Walk. Into a Room, The Art of Knowing When to Stay and When to Walk Away. Emily Emily P. Freeman joins us on the show. She's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and we're going to get into it with her. She is the bestselling author of six books, in fact, including The Next Right Thing, How to Walk Into a Room, of course, and as a spiritual director and workshop leader, her most important work is to help create soul space and offer spiritual companionship and discernment for anyone struggling with decision fatigue. With over 25 million downloads, her short-form narrative podcast, The Next Right Thing, offers clarity and direction for anyone who wants to move forward beyond the pro-con list in decision-making. She holds a master's degree in Christian spiritual formation and leadership from Friends University, where she also serves as a residency lecturer. She lives in North Carolina with her family and all that good stuff. Welcome to the show, Emily. How are you? I'm so good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. We really appreciate having you. Give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? It's everywhere. It's Emily P. Freeman. Don't forget the P. There is another Emily Freeman who does similar work. So she's B. I'm P. So EmilyPFreeman.com. Instagram is at Emily P. Freeman. There you go. And your book just came out. So congratulations on that. Uh, actually, it comes out March 12th, 2024. That's right. There you go. A little late in pulling up on the Amazon there. So uh, you can pre-order it now wherever fine books are sold, folks. So give us, uh, Emily, a uh, 30,000 overview of your new book and what's aside. 
You know, this is one of those books that I have kind of had in the back of my mind for a while. Five mm-hmm. years ago, I released a book called The Next Right Thing, mm-hmm. same title as my podcast. And that is really all about decision making, kind of like simple tools and s- for practices for making decisions in everyday life. But what I found in the last five years talking with people who listen to the podcast, who read that book, is that the decisions that tend to give us the most trouble are the ones where we're deciding to either stay where we are in a job, a vocation, a community, or move on to something else. And so I thought, you know what? I think we could use a whole book to talk about this. There you go. And and helping people make those decisions, square those in their minds and figure out the best way to make those travails. I remember when I was young, there was a there was a line from a Billy Joel song, and I think it was from um Hmm. It'll come to me, but it was it was a line that said, "Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes." I'm afraid it's time for goodbye again. Mm-hmm. I won't sing it because I'm not going to butcher Billy Joel, Jesus, on the show. <laughs> no one wants to see that, folks. But it was a great line because it it said something home to me that you know you can't. You know, I was I think I was in high school all the time, or I was a little post high school, and you know how your friends kind of fall away in high school, and you're like, "Geez, I thought you know we were going to be ride and die friends for life." all those people. And it it kind of prepared me for life where, you know, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. I'm afraid it's time for goodbye again. I think the song was Goodbye to Hollywood. And uh, so tell us more on on how you came to write the book. There's three different chapters you have in it. You have the How to Walk into a Room, of course, is the part three on leaving, how to walk out of a room, and then on pausing, discernment in hallways. Talk to us about some of the different formats you decide on how to decide to walk out of a room. It's a great question. And, you know, the book is how to walk into a room, but people have pointed out to me, two thirds of the book is about walking out. Yeah. And that's actually true. And and that's on purpose is because I think sometimes we, we, we're mistaken when we think the beginning starts at the beginning. Like when we walk into a room, oh. we've just walked out of a lot of rooms. And so how we yeah. walk into our next room is always going to be informed by how we walked out of the last one. Mm-hmm. And I, as I observe my own life and talk to people around me, I think, man, some of us are walking out way too soon, or we're staying way too long, or we're burning bridges on our way out that really didn't need to be burned. And so, Yeah, but it's so much fun, though. It it is, but sometimes there are consequences that we could have avoided. Mm, Um, Jail time, maybe, but but other than that, it's... For one, for one. I'm sorry. The so what are these rooms in in your book what what are what decisions are we making and what what are these rooms that we're leaving and entering? You know, if life were a house, then every room holds a story. If we imagine our life as a house, I, mm-hmm. I write in metaphors sometimes. Forgive me. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Right to um, mobile home. <laughs> well, you know, they still have rooms, and I think that we all kind of understand the idea that, you know, Every room is like our commitments, our relationships, our vocation. These are all sort of types of rooms. And we all know there are rooms that are like, this is my room. Like you host this podcast. This is a room you're in. This is where you fit. You're good at it. You might also know the rooms that you're like, I stuck my foot in that room and it was not for me. And you know it immediately. But but then there are those other rooms, maybe rooms we were born into, maybe rooms we've been in for a really long time, maybe rooms that we went to college to get into, or we fought really hard for, or we prayed really hard for, and we got there. And then something happens, something shifts in us or in people around us, or just time passes and we start to wonder, I wonder if it's maybe time for me to move on. And sometimes we don't know how to evaluate if it's time or not. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is to be able to offer people some questions, some rhythms, some ideas 
to begin mm-hmm. to give you a framework inside, maybe not a formula, but a framework to start to figure that out for yourself. Yeah. And it, it give you some self-reflection as to whether it's the right time or not. So some of these rooms could be relationships, maybe yes. a marriage, maybe a job. And I'm glad you wrote this book because normally the way I just deal with things when I think it's time to leave is I just fake my death and move to another state. <laughs> this is how I do. So give us a little bit of background on you. You've written a lot of books. You've got the successful podcast. Tell us how you grew up and what kind of shaped you into talking about and writing about some of the things you've done. It's funny, you know, I grew up in Indiana. I'm a Midwest girl. Mm -hmm. And I grew up going, I went to elementary school in the middle of a cornfield. And I thought I'd live there forever. You know, that's how it is about when we're little, we think this is my forever home. This is the only home that ever will be. And then when I was around 11, my dad started to change his vocation. And he went into radio, actually radio broadcasting. (laughs) And so that took him from our little small town in Columbus, Indiana, to Iowa, another small town in Iowa. But that started a series of moves for us, you know, Iowa, South Carolina, Michigan, my parents moved to Texas. So we moved all around. And that, you know, like many people who've moved around when they were kids really formed my narratives about what it means to stay and go. You know, I just thought that's normal to move people move all the time. When I got married to my husband, John 22 years ago, we live in the same town right now where he was born, went to middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school. He went away for college, but now he's back. And so he's got a really different narrative about staying and going. Yeah. And so do our kids who now were born here and they grew all the way up here. And so that's something that, you know, when I think about this decision about different rooms of our lives, you know, John and I, we share a life, but we we have very different ideas about what it means to decide to leave or to stay because we have different life experiences. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I had the same experience you did. My parents moved around when we were younger, you go to different schools. You know, I think a lot of people I talk to in the show, you know, if you're a military brat, you get moved around a lot. I think it builds some pretty interesting character and resilience in people. It, it sometimes it's really hard. You're just like, yeah. why do I have to move? I just made all these friends and, now I got to be the new kid again, which is annoying. And, but it, it, I think it builds a resilience in you. It gives you a, it kind of teaches you maybe that life is, life is transitory. I don't know if that's the right word. It sounds like a bus station, but maybe it is. I like it though. I feel like if, if you made it up, I think it's excellent. There you go. Thanks for, for flattering to get you everywhere. The, and so, and so having, you know, understanding how to deal with these things are important. The, so how to walk into, let, let's take a, a divorce or a relationship. I think maybe a lot of people that, that is something to decide when to leave a relationship, maybe that's gone toxic or bad or making decisions or maybe a job. What are, what are some of the factors that you suggest in the book and how to analyze maybe if it's really time to go? Is, is there any self accountability reflection where you go, Maybe you're the problem. (laughs) Right. Sometimes that's a fact. I think it has to start with a practice of awareness. I'm glad you used that word self-reflection. I think that a lot of times, some of us, when we see a red flag, we like hightail it out of there. Like we leave it the first sign of trouble. Others of us see a red flag and we immediately are like, it's nothing. It'll get better. Um, But I had a friend tell me years ago when I was questioning a particular job and I had the tiniest red flag about it. I was like, I don't know. I think it's fine. But I just had this little question. And she said, Emily, tiny red flags rarely shrink. They only grow. 
And I have found that to be true in relationships, in jobs, in Mm -hmm. almost everything. But one thing that I've learned since then is that not every hesitation is a tiny red flag. And so Mm -hmm. that's where I would say, if you're in a, let's say a job that you're starting to get uncomfortable in, I think the first thing to do is not to make your decision, should I stay or go? Mm -hmm. It's too soon. First, you have to look around the room, let's just use the metaphor of that job and begin to name and list, what do I see? What's good and beautiful here? Mm -hmm. Did I choose this place? Did it choose me? How long have I been here? And since then, who has the power? Mm -hmm. How has the power dynamic changed? If I leave, who will it impact? If I stay, who will be impacted? There's lots of questions we can begin to ask as a first step to determine, is this hesitation truly a red flag? And if so, it's probably going to grow. Or is it maybe just a yellow flag to slow me down and help me maybe name, oh, I thought I had to quit. But in fact, I just had to like, change my hours like that sometimes as a fact if you slow yourself down and evaluate your surroundings yeah there was a story i heard one time i think it was anthony robbie told a story about a neighbor who who moved into a new neighborhood and the after a few months the wife wanted to move and the neighbor said why you just you know you just moved in here and and the guy says you know my wife she's unhappy people don't like her here she doesn't feel wanted etc etc and he asked her she has she done anything to reach out to the community no no one's approached her and no one's brought anything to the house and no one's offered friendship and she's she's so if she gone out and tried to make friends has she gone to meet with local communities or you know relief societies or whatever no she just stays at home and no one reached out to her and so it was it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy so i think it's good to have those analyzations where you know sometimes you're just not asking the right questions in life or yeah. maybe sometimes you're not communicating effectively i've been in you know i've had relationships or jobs where sometimes i'm not communicating effectively and it helps if maybe you know I just grab somebody in the throat at the office and communicate effectively with them. And then things seem to change. (laughs) Don't do that. people. Imagine that. (laughs) It's fun being the CEO of your own company. Yeah. Yeah. HR (laughs) calls and you just fire them. Don't do that people. But so, so you help people analyze, you know, what, what's good, what's bad, the downsides, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what, what can happen to them if they, if they do these things. Because there are people who make a lot of bad decisions. You know, I've talked to people recently that you know, I, they, they regret the decisions they made. And I'm like, did, you really didn't think this through, did you? Because mm. it's pretty obvious the rest of us. Hmm. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because there are a lot of us who, you know, I have a podcast called The Next Right Thing. And in it, I really talk mainly to the chronically hesitant among us. But then there's a whole other group of people who are very decisive people. And yeah. and they don't, some of them listen, but not all of them do. I probably have more of the chronically hesitant, those who are struggling with decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because the people who say they are decisive when it comes to just regular decisions in life, there's something they all have in common because I've surveyed the audience. And mm-hmm. and what they say is, I've just learned that most de- decisions, not all, but most decisions are not permanent. And I know that I, these decisive people say, I would rather make the decision to be done with it than live with that tension of an unmade decision. Whereas um, those who are chronically hesitant tend to say, I would rather live with the tension of an unmade decision because once I make it, it feels so final if, and I'm worried that it might be a mistake. So it's just sort of mm-hmm. a different mindset. Really? So there's, there's technically two groups of people then that, that, that are like that, where they some people are they can make that decision really quick and some people are more hesitant. Is that what I understand? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And I would encourage if you're one who is more chronically hesitant, I think that allowing yourself the time it takes that it takes you to make the decision, but maybe borrowing 
a friend or a family member or someone you trust, someone I call a yeah. co-listener, someone who can listen to you and understand, you know, they kind of know you, they know your core values, they know what matters to you, but maybe they're more of a decisive person and maybe borrow some of their courage and Mm -hmm. and to make your decision. And then for those who are more decisive, I think sometimes Mm -hmm. they can get a little, a little decision happy and maybe move a little too quick. (laughs) And I think those people could maybe borrow a co-listener and practice patience and allow themselves, you know, there's some people who like, they don't even take till the deadline to make their decision. They just make it that day, but maybe give yourself to the deadline to to make the decision. Cause sometimes we do have a little bit of time. And I think that can be helpful for people who are more quick to make decisions. Definitely think through your decisions a bit more and flush them out and, and weigh them And and thought provoking questions are a great way to do that. I think in the, in the book, you talk about spiritual practices and things. Do you, do you talk about any of that? I do. Absolutely. I think we all have a unique spiritual personality. And really by that, I just mean a way that we connect with spirit, the way we connect with God, the way that we come most alive in the world. And sometimes I think we can get ourselves into trouble when we look at the way other people connect and we think that's the only one right way to do it. And that's going to hinder our ability to hear our own heart, to consider what we most deeply want and to discern our next right thing. And so I think one spiritual practice that I engage, and by the way, when I say spiritual practice, really, I just mean anything that helps you become more fully yourself, that helps oh. you kind of put yourself in the path of God. And sometimes we think of prayer and journaling and things that are very formal. And of course, those count. But I would also say taking a walk in the woods can be a spiritual practice. Oh. Having a beautiful conversation with someone you love can be a spiritual practice. Yeah. Anything can be a spiritual practice if you do it in the presence of God. Yeah. And so, those are things that as we engage those things, they help us get to know ourselves and they help us trust ourselves and show up at the table as a, a person whose voice counts when it comes to decisions. Mm making i like to walk in the woods because that's usually where i bury most of my bodies from the decisions that i made when i walked out of a room oh and most of the spiritual contact i do is is usually with bourbon or vodka so (laughs) lots of spirits there different kind of spirits but spirit nonetheless it's it's hard being atheist so there you go but uh, you know connecting to all these different things you know the worst thing you can do is make a decision and say i'm gonna leave and hell with all this and you know you just throw up your hands one day and you you jump to conclusions i've seen that with uh, with relationships in fact everyone leaves me that way but in jobs you know i'll see people they'll explode and they'll just you know whatever they've you know it's been boiling inside them they'll just explode one day and then they cause a scene and and then later they're like hey i really didn't mean to have that blow up and cause that scene at work and you're like it's too late, buddy. That shit was nail, man. Yeah. You know, and it's, and a lot of stuff is really about, I, I don't know, would you say perspective, trying to get the right perspective on where you're at in the room? And, you know, because there's sometimes like in business where, you know, I'm like, this sucks what I'm doing. I don't like this or this isn't working very well. And, you know, recently I was looking at one of our business models and thinking, you know, this is really annoying me. I don't know what to do with this thing. And then an epiphany came to me about an idea of it. And I'm like, holy shit, there's a whole profit. There's a whole profit mine right underneath this thing that I wasn't even paying attention to because I wasn't asking the right questions. And, you know, there's, there's a whole different thing I can do with this. Mm. And here it has been staring me in the face the whole yeah. time. Right. And so sometimes maybe you need to have mirrors in all these rooms. 
So you can absolutely. I mean, that's actually <laughs> I actually love that because mm-hmm. I think about in our rooms. Sometimes there's a, we need a mirror to self reflect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need a window to kind of see what's possible, but we're not quite ready to walk out yet. Other times mm-hmm. it's a door. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready to leave. And sometimes you're just staring at the wall, like you don't even know. Yeah. What, what's ahead and you feel a little bit lost. But I do think that practice of self-reflection and two questions I like to ask myself when I'm thinking about making a decision, you know, like you mentioned a job or vocation mm-hmm. or, or even have your, have the company be the, the person, you know, who's making the decision and let the company kind of self-reflect, if you will. Yeah. And you look at like for, for this project that I'm working on, if it were to reflect on the last three to six months, what would it say was most life-giving to itself? And what was most life-draining? What drained the life out of this business? And what gave life to this business? And when you really start to get specific, and I'm saying like, write it down, like we can, sometimes we do stuff in our head and we're like, oh, I can think it in my head. No, write it down because that there's something embodied about being able to write these things down and see when we did this thing, it worked really well and people really responded well to this and write those things down. And then write down this flopped this financially you know was we were in the hole afterwards like kind of and really taking regular time i'm talking either monthly or 90 day quarterly and of course annually we tend to do annually but sometimes it's too late if you wait till the end of the year but those things can help you know when it's time to go it's almost it doesn't it's not like a surprise you show up to it's like it dawns on you over time Mm -hmm. and it just becomes your next right thing because you're so aware of what's happening in the company or in your life whatever it is you're reflecting on that it's it's not a big surprise and i think that's sometimes we get ourselves into trouble you know I, i feel like you know in the united states or maybe globally we have this idea that we wait till december to reflect on the year and we're like you know what worked this year and what didn't if i wait till december to reflect on february man i could have had a whole different spring and summer and fall like so i i love you know speaking of spiritual practice i i think that's a spiritual practice even if you're doing it for business or whatever it is you're working on because it helps you become more aware it helps you become more integrated with who you are and what you really want for this job relationship or community there you go so you need quarterly reports on your relationships i think so your personal life just like you do in business. Absolutely. You need to meet with investors and be like, hey, here's what we're doing. I love it. I love it. I always keep, I was going to say, you mentioned put, keep having windows in rooms. That's usually how I go out of a room. I just go right out the window. Fly out the window. Yeah. yeah I just run and fake my death. Um, <laughs> the part two, on pausing discernment in hallways. Talk to us a little bit about what that means and how that applies to what we've been chatting about. I think we all know what it's like to be in between spaces. Maybe you're between Mm. jobs or you've made the decision to leave a space. It was very clear, but you're not quite sure what's next. Mm -hmm. The hallway can be a really interesting tool. It can Mm -hmm. be a, it's a liminal space for many of us. It can be a frustrating space, but it can also be like a waiting room and waiting rooms aren't all bad. It can buy us time. Mm -hmm. It can help us learn more about ourselves and our surroundings. It can give us time to plan. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't all have the luxury of, you know, having the the gift of a hallway, but I do think a hallway, you know, there's burdens there too, but it can be a gift. But I would also say that the goal in life is not to get out of every hallway that we're in and find the right rooms and lock the doors and paint the, paint the rooms the right color. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to die in some hallways. We just are. We're always in a hallway, in a new room, and leaving an old room. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. But I think the more we can make friends with that reality of this healthy human rhythm of life, I think the better off we're going to be. 
There you go. I love that analogy and, and learning to be comfortable in it. You know, I, I've been single, I've dated all my life. So you meet people that are, they, they get divorced and like immediately they're trying to get back into another right. marriage. And you're like, no, you have to go in from using your, your analogy. You have to go into the hallway for a while. That's right. And you've got to clean up. You've got to, you know, there's a grief process that goes on with marriages and long-term relationships. And so you've got to do the process of grief. You got to unpack all that crap. And then you got to, and then you got to start figuring out who you are again. And, you know, you're, you've left behind this identity of, of what you were in your marriage with another person. And now you have to form a new identity of who you are as this new single person. Yeah. And then you kind of have something that you can start, you know, looking to find a way to get into maybe another room of marriage or relationship is a good example. And so being in that hallway is a healthy space to be. And a lot of people, you know, you'll see people are panicking and I'm just like, they're running through the hallways. Why? Why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. They're running in the hallway with their hair on fire screaming. I gotta get into a room. And you're yeah, just like, right. No one wants you right now because your hair is <laughs> on fire. And you just got out of a room and, and yeah. you need to stay here in the hallway for a while. But I like how you make it okay that it's, it, it's technically still a safe space. Same thing with the job, as you mentioned, you know, maybe you need to learn some new skills, maybe read yeah. some books, maybe reanalyze. Do I really want to be a engineer? Maybe I want to, you know, go pursue another career. And a lot of people do that, you know, between jobs, they, that's right. They go, you know, maybe why, why do I want to do this? We just had somebody on the show the other day. I think it was the guy he was, I think it was the gentleman. He bought a, he bought a mine, a Silvertown mine. And he went, he had gone to school for something. I don't remember what it was, but it was just something that he spent all this money on, acquired all this debt. And then he went and did it. And he goes, I really hate this. I think it was like banking or stock market or something. And he's like, I just hate this. I don't want to do this. And here he spent all this money and, and all this stuff. And so he was kind of, I guess, in his own sort of hallway where he was like, what do I want to do? And he started playing with different things. And then he opened a hostel, which in Austin. And, and then eventually it led to this weird opportunity of buying a silver mine town in California. And, you know, he's, it, it, you know, it became a viral thing back in the, during COVID and, and now he's found his purpose in his life and he's found yeah. what he needed, but he needed to leave that room he and he'd entered and stay in the hallway for a while to figure out where he wanted to go. And now he's found the room that he wants to be in. And that's something, you know, I went to school to become a sign language interpreter and I learned American sign language. I did my internship. I graduated with that degree. Mm -hmm. I even spent a lot of money and a lot of time becoming nationally certified as a sign Mm -hmm. language interpreter. So I like spent my time, you know, interpreting at graduations and different things. And it, you know, looked like that was, that was my whole world. I learned this whole other language. And then I, you know, was doing it. I was doing it full time. And then I got pregnant with twins and uh, it was great. And, you know, having two babies at one time. Keeping two humans alive. That was a whole journey. That's a room. That's yeah, a room, I, Chris. I had a friend. You. I had a friend who had twins, so I feel <laughs> you I know. Feel, yeah, yeah. But over time, I realized like this work of sign language interpreting, it just wasn't fitting my life anymore. Yeah. But I had a really hard time letting go of it because mm-hmm. I was a really good sign language interpreter. Like, I, yeah. and I really loved it. But in order to remain much like teachers, in order to continue doing it, I had to get these continuing education oh, yeah. units, and I just didn't have the time or space. Mm-hmm. So I had to let it go, and I kind of came up with this mantra to help myself through it, which was the reality is just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it forever. 
Oh. And that's really helped me because I realized, you know, I think sometimes we think if you go to school for it, like, even though a lot of us, we know the world these days, like people go to school for one thing and they end up doing something totally different. That's pretty normal. But mm-hmm. I think that doesn't stop the narrative that's going on in our heads. I wasted my time. I wasted my money. No, you didn't. You did it. You mm-hmm. learned something. You became a person. You changed. Mm-hmm. And now you might do something different. And that and that's okay. And I think it's good to normalize that. There you go. Most people, you know, the biggest problem with this with the sign language business is most people just don't listen over there. <laughs> Had to do that joke. There you go. There you did go. it. You um, feel good about it? I do. I do. Good. I'll get hate mail later. <laughs> you know, Steve Jobs did a thing where he he did he hated college and he didn't like any of it. But the one thing and so he she quit and then he started slumming in college just just like going to classes that he wanted to do and one of them was a type a type what was it called a, a type fitting class where you you learn calligraphy and different different topographies i guess or designs of of font yeah and 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 stuff and he really loved it and and he didn't really know what he was going to do with it but it was what he was kind of learning in the hallway and it you know that ability to write with word processors use different fonts and 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 all those different things was the key to his success with the mac wow and so you know like you mentioned you go through these journeys of learning things and you you never know how that's going to apply and there's been so many things to me I, i tell people the most important thing i learned in school typing Right. When I started my first company in 18, I would sit and be able to type the invoices and my business partner, I would take turns and he never learned typing. So he'd spend half the weekend henpecking out invoices. We'd take turns each weekend and, and I'd just be like, wow, that was the most powerful class I ever learned. Was I still remember. They don't teach it anymore. I still remember taking time. I loved that class. My se- It was my senior year of uh, high school. I think we uh, took that. It's an excellent yeah. class. Yeah, so you can take you can take stock of what you learn in the hallway, and uh, take it into the new rooms to do much better. And so, yeah, the last part of the book you get into walking into the room. How to walk into the room? Walking as a leader, walking as a listener, walking as your own friend. Talk to us about some of these different things. We talk about leadership a lot on the show. Walking in as a leader, maybe. Yeah, one thing that that happened with, for me in the last four years is so I seven years ago or eight years ago now I co I co started a company for writers. It was an mm-hmm. online membership community where we helped writers balance the art of writing with the business of publishing. Mm-hmm. And it started out as a hobby, but as these things go, it grew. It became successful, and what was kind of a side gig turned into a full time job. Mm-hmm. And I'm a writer, I'm a creative, and so I was sort of the creative voice in the company. But over time, you know, when something becomes successful sort of your role rather than being the frontline person of the more creative one you kind of come back and you become more managerial and that's kind of how it was for me and I realized like my days were probably numbered in that business so a year ago I sold my shares to one of my business partners and and I've been out of it for a year or so but what I learned in that is that you know there's a way to be a leader when you're in charge and then there's also a way you can be a leader even when you're not in charge. And so okay. some of the rooms that I've been in since then, I'm not necessarily, you know, the the co-owner of business, but there are rooms where I'm, I can learn and I can learn from, you know, my, my past mistakes as a leader who was in charge, but I can also show up as a leader leading myself in rooms where I may not be in charge, but I, I still have agency. And that's something yeah. that I think when I, when we walk every room we walk into, there's one person we always bring and it's ourselves. And it's mm-hmm. so important to remember, to learn what does it look like to lead myself first? I usually am trying to get away from me, so I slam the door quickly <laughs> behind me, hoping that 
I left him in the hallway, but usually it's just my shadow. But I have issues, and I'm probably schizophrenic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not schizophrenic. Just sounded good for the joke, folks. So, yeah, and you're right. I, you know, I talked about this in my book, Beacons of Leadership. We can all be leaders, whether you're a parent. You don't have to have the title of a leader. You don't have to be named CEO, you know. I see people in companies who are like, I'm not the CEO, so I just don't care. And we all have those, like you said, agency. That's such a great word. To, to be leaders, to be leaders in our own space or what we're good at thinking. When you go into the meeting, you know, you can be a leader in the format that, that you know, and you can bring that knowledge to the table and stuff. So lots of great things there. Tell us about some of the offerings you have on your website. I see some things here. There's your Substack newsletter. There's actually an app, your podcast, et cetera. Tell us about some of the things people can find there. Absolutely. So I have a Substack called The Soul Minimalist, mm-hmm. uh, where we kind of take what we talk about that week on the Next Right Thing podcast. And it's really for anyone who wants to move beyond the pro-con list. So we go a little bit deeper on Substack Weekly. So that's what that is, The Soul Minimalist. Mm-hmm. And then I also have an app. It's called The Quiet Collection. And there's some free offerings inside The Quiet Collection. It's available on iTunes or uh, for a- Apple products or also mm-hmm. for Android. And there's some free things. There's some, you know, reflections and different offerings there. And then there's also some, we do some things during Christmas time for people. It's sort of reflective meditative, some prayers, things like that. And then the website, we have some courses available as for decision making, as well as, you know, of course, the book, How to Walk Into a Room, that's almost out into the world. There you go. I see one of the articles here on being okay when the lonely moment comes. So how to find your way in the hallway. Absolutely. The soul minimalist. What happens if you don't have a soul? I sold mine for this podcast in $5. <laughs> So well, then you're very minimal, Chris, the, the most minimal you can be. I, yeah. Part of it was I listened to that minimalist. So those two minimalist guys, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, I got bring, you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't need the soul, man. It's just weighing me down. It's, I have to get a U-Haul every time I got to move and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, five bucks came up and they're like, you can have a podcast. And I was like, that sounds like a deal. So there you go. <laughs> so wonderful things that they have there. Give us your final thoughts and tease on how people can pick up the book, reach out to you, et cetera, et cetera. So great to be here with you, Chris. And I just, you know, for anyone who's standing in a threshold, I think in any part of our lives, we are standing in a threshold considering, Mm -hmm. is it time for me to make a move? And I think my one encouragement would be, I hope you're not afraid to ask the hard questions that I hope to offer a framework for people who are wanting to do that. So Mm -hmm. how to walk into a room, the art of knowing when to stay and when to walk away. There you go. What if I sneak out of a room and come back later when no one's looking? Is Is that healthy? (laughs) <laughs> I'm still going with the fake my death part. So thank you very much, Emily, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Give And, and I think we got your .com on the thing, didn't we, there at the final plug? EmilyPFreeman.com. There you go. Always about the plugs. Order the book, folks. Wherever fine books are sold, it comes out March 12th, 2024. How to Walk Into a Room, The Art of Knowing When to Stay and When to walk away. I could probably use this on half the relationships where I broke up with people. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Foss. LinkedIn.com for just Chris Foss. Chris Foss, one of the TikTokity. All those crazies, please. We're on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.